Welcome to the Newberry Tart Podcast. Your hosts, Marcy and Jenny, are talking and drinking their way through Newberry award-winning books, past and present. Hi, and welcome back to the Newberry Tart Podcast. I'm Marcy. And I'm Jenny. Today we're speaking with Kevin Henkes, Caldecott Medal winner and multiple Newberry honoree, among many other awards. Hi, Kevin. Hi. Thank you for inviting me. We're so happy to talk to you. So I think this might be the first time that we're talking with someone who's been honored by both awards. So I'm very curious about your art and how you got started with that. Um, Is this something you've done since you were a child? Yes, I think um, I cannot remember a time when I did not love to draw. And I, I think I always thought of myself as an artist. And when I've talked at schools, I will often tell kids that um, if it's possible, I think I was born an artist. I don't remember choosing it. I just remember um, always loving it. So I was one of those kids who would draw, you know, on envelopes and pieces of paper, anything I could get my hands on. That was that was me. I, I loved to love to draw, loved to paint, and was always considered you know, the class artist. Um, So it was really how I identified myself. In the year of Billy Miller, um, his father is an artist. And then again, in um, Olive's Ocean, her father is a writer. Um, And each of those two characters start to start to do those both of those things as well. I was curious, did you have an influence in your family? Um, Not Particularly, um, my grandfather, my maternal grandfather, uh, had a photography um, store, and he had a dark room in his basement, and um, that was inspiring to me. My grandmother, his his wife, um, did, I, I believe it's called rose modeling, um, painting, painting on wood, like on wooden plates, and that always intrigued me too. And I think my mother was very creative. She did a lot of crafts, but um, I don't think she would ever consider herself an artist. Um, but I do like writing characters that are artists because it's 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 nice for me to do. Um, and then also the father in Protecting Marie is an artist. And I, I believe the father in Words of Stone um, is as well, if I remember correctly. So I do like I do like writing about um, about about parents because when when I write a novel, I have to give the parents a job, and give, if I make <laughs> him or her an artist, um, it's easier for me to do, and I enjoy it. So I think that's why I do it, not because I grew up with that. I was also just reading um, "Sweeping Up the Heart," which I loved, um, oh. and I was wondering if you do ceramics as well. I do. Um, and that was one of the real um, inspirations for the book. Starting in, I believe, 2006, I began going to my local clay studio um, once a week. And I'm not very good at throwing on the wheel. Um, and that made me feel very uncomfortable. So I just started making little animals, um, hand, hand-built sculptures and that was sort of the reason that the book my picture book waiting came to be um which is about 
Oh, on the, the windowsill, yes. The on the windowsill, right. And and originally I thought that I might use some of my figure, figurines and photograph them, but I realized that I could do much more um, artistically. In my, uh, um, I could sort of see my vision much more clearly if I, if I drew it and painted it rather than using my figurines. Um, but I kept thinking about it, and I... Um, and I always have a novel in the back of my mind when I'm working on a picture book and vice versa. And I thought, oh, the clay studio would be a great setting for a novel. And I could have, I love writing about kids who are artists. So I could have a kid who's an artist who makes things out of clay. So, um, and right now in my studio on the windowsills and on the ledges, I have oh, probably close to a hundred little animals that I've made out of clay. Um, I haven't been doing it so much lately, but but it is definitely part of my life. And I don't think I'm particularly good at it, but I do enjoy it. <laughs> that makes me wonder, do you also make dioramas? Um, no, but but um, that was very much inspired by my kids when they were little. Um, we went through a couple of diorama experiences, and I do remember making dioramas when I was a kid. It seemed like that was a very big thing when I was a boy. I always loved those assignments. <laughs> uh, me too. I, I mean, they were my favorite kinds of assignments because I could, you know, use my artistic talent um, in a way that I loved. Like with with the diorama, um, I mean, I often do think back to when I was a kid, even though, you know, it was a different time, of course, but I think sometimes those feelings... Um, and some of the experiences um, transfer nicely. So I often, when I'm working on a book, I try to remember, you know, what was it like to be 12? What was it like to be 7? Um, and it helps, I think, inform what I'm working on. Um, do you think that a mixed-media picture book may be in your future? Um, I am always thinking about it. I was just thinking again about trying to come up with an idea for some way to use my figurines and photograph them in a picture book in some way. So, yes. I mean, I'm always thinking about, um, you know, a new way of working, a new way of um, just doing something different in a book. I think it, you know, makes my job interesting. Are those your figurines photographed on the cover of Sweeping Up the Heart? Yes, they are. Oh, I love um, them. And that was really fun to do. Um, I shipped a bunch of them to New York, and I got to go and work with a photographer. Um, it, was it was quite fun. We picked out different backgrounds and different setups with them. Um, I, I really enjoyed it a lot. Well, I know you say that you think you're not very good, but those are delightful. <laughs> oh, thank you. Well, the, the other thing, I mean, they were supposed to look like a 12-year-old made them, so <laughs> <laughs> that, that, that helped. <laughs> Moving from your art to your writing, actually, 
um, I was just rereading Olive's Ocean, and in, in Olive's Ocean, the main character, Martha, is reading that journal entry by the classmate Olive who has died, where Olive is talking about wanting to be a writer and the kind of writer that she wants to be. And she says, not a mystery or adventure one, but an emotional one as, as to the books that she wants to write. Maybe I can make kids change their opinions on emotion books like some authors did to me. Um, which seems like a great way to describe your entire writing style for, for novels for young people. So I was wondering if you were as intentional going into that style as, as Olive wanted to be. Like, did you do that on purpose to have this emotional style of writing for kids? No, and, and, and that, that journal entry was really inspired by a letter I had gotten from a, a reader. Um, who talked about my books being emotion books. And I hadn't thought about that before. Um, I, I do know that I am drawn to very small domestic stories. It's just, it's what I like. Um, I love character driven stories. It's just what um, I feel I do best and what I like. Um, and I, I, I recently, I just, I have this line out on my desk. I found it recently. I was reading um, the collected letters between Eudora Welty and her friend and editor, William Maxwell, who is also a writer. He was an editor at the New Yorker. And Eudora Welty um, was in England and she visited Jane Austen's house and she wrote to William Maxwell describing the house by saying, quote, it looks big, but is really small the opposite of her novels, end quote. And I thought that was so wonderful. And I, I think that's what I hope that, that I hope to do, um, because I do think of my books as being small. But I think the, by, you know, making really interesting details, by um, really showing a complete picture of who the characters are, that they do become bigger and perhaps they do, you know, speak to universal truths or whatever. But I am, it's just what I like to do and what I feel comfortable doing. Every now and then I'll start out trying to do something different, but I always come back. I mean, I guess one just does what one does. Well, it, it makes sense because your your chapter books and your picture books all do that that thing where they just capture that age so well whether it's you know Lily's purple plastic purse like that age is captured so well in that book and then when you're reading your your chapter books you're just getting like the little emotional moments of those of those children in the books and it it is really uncanny when you're reading them you you remember what it was like to be that age and it you're like oh my god I remember that exactly <laughs> and, I, and I think I was one of those kids who really did um feel things deeply and um and I, and I think also being a parent just made me realize again how difficult it is to be a child even under the best of circumstances because I think one really is powerless and and, and that's a you know a difficult position to be in I think and 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 that also therefore makes it a very um interesting time to write about. And I think particularly with a book like Sweeping Up the Heart, because um, the the main character, Amelia, is is 12 at such an interesting place to be, I think, early adolescence, 
um, you know, you're, you're still a child, but you're, you're leaving childhood. You're surely not an adult, but you're, you're on your way. Um, and I think it's a time that's full of promise and, and, and wonderful things, but it's also a horrible, miserable time of life too. So it's a, it's a very, um, rich time of life to write about. To build on what Marcy was saying, one of the things that I respond to in your books is the the small moments, not just the emotional moments, but the small moments of Martha deciding to, with with Olive's mother having moved away, to paint Olive's name on the step. Um, these small actions that are very meaningful, um, as well as the small little items that Martha hides away or Billy, um, Billy's sister has like her own treasure trove of items. And I, I just always, I love that part of those parts of your book so much. Um, cause I was a little magpie. Um, so I just enjoy seeing that because it, it seems so real to me. And, and I, I think I often have, um, my kids in my novels, um, either collect things or um, even I think of Amelia with, you know, making her her rabbits. I think making something, collecting something, having this thing, whatever it is, you know, that you, um, that, that it's yours. It's a way of having some kind of control. And I think, you know, even symbolically it shows that, in this time when one is powerless, it's a way to sort of have a certain kind of power to have this thing that you have that's yours, that you're in control of. Um, so I think, I think it's, it can be comforting for a kid. Um, Definitely. So I, I guess I turn to that. And I love making up the, the little details um, that even, even if it's a, a story that in general terms we've heard before, I think by making the details, um, you know, original or just, you know, I think everybody has their own way of telling the same story in their own way. Um, I think that's what makes it interesting. And, and there's another, there's a quote, which I would love to read that, that I um, often read when I'm giving a speech and it's from, um, um, Kathleen Shine, a, a writer for adults, says, a trash novel tells you everything you already know about a way of life you will, in fact, never know. A serious novel tells you in one way or, or another what you don't know about the familiar, the personal, the dailiness of life, and so about life itself. And I think, again, that's what I, that's what I hope to do or try to do by, by making it particular, by making, you know, this kid in this book as real as possible, perhaps, um, you know, that elevates it, that makes the character bigger, it makes his or her problems, you know, more understandable to a wider audience. And hopefully it makes it interesting, too. I have an almost three-year-old. And one of her favorite books is your book, Egg. Oh. And I refer to it as her first graphic novel. <laughs> uh, 
I, I always, from the very beginning, I thought of it as a graphic novel for preschoolers. What is your experience with sequential art? Is this something you're a fan of and you wanted to try out? Or um, is this something that, as you were thinking of the story of Egg, um, it just it oh, seemed like lent itself I, I to have that. always loved sequential art. And I think, you know, as a kid who loved comics and animation, um, it seemed natural. And I have often gone back and when I've looked at my picture books as a whole, I mean, there are segments in many of the um, books with the mouse characters where there are sequences. Um, I know there's one in Lily's Purple Plastic Purse where she's feeling embarrassed and she shrinks. Um, there's one in Chrysanthemum where um, she's feeling happy and it's, you know, the same framing and the same setting, but the 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 drawing of the character grows or shrinks or moves within that frame. Um, I did it in Kitten's First Full Moon where Kitten goes home. Um, I think there are a series of six or, I can't remember, six or eight drawings. Um, so I do love telling a story with pictures um, and sometimes without words, and I really wanted to do that quite a lot with, with Egg. And one of the things that I wanted to do was to see if I could tell a story First, I wanted to do a wordless book, but I love typography so much. I love the way type looks that I couldn't get rid of it completely. Okay. So that I decided that I would try to do a book in which I didn't use traditional sentences, but I only used words, and I wanted to see if I could do that. So that's sort of how it began. Um, and I loved doing it. I love that whole idea of how... Um, you know, a kid can read it without knowing how to read. And I did a little book tour when the book came out, and I was terrified because it struck me that for the first time in my career, I was going to be sharing a picture book with large groups of kids. And it was the first time that the story could not be understood just by reading the words. And it really, it did terrify me. I thought, how is this ever going to work? But, you know, starting with the first group, it was really wonderful for me how much they responded to it. And even the young kids, the kindergartners and the pre, pre-K kids, you know, they, they could read the pictures. So it was, it was fine. And I remember so clearly reading it to one large group of kindergartners. And at um, the point where the fourth egg cracks open, they just shrieked. And it was really <laughs> wonderful for me. And I said to the teacher, one of the teachers or the librarian afterwards, it's really fun for me to read a book, sometimes to a group who has never heard it. And she said, what do you mean, haven't heard it? She said, I probably read it to them 25 times. And that even made it better because it made me think, well, they've heard this so many times, and yet they had this reaction. Um, so that was, that was nice. And I really, I do like... I mean, even if there are some words, I, I love the idea of really using the illustration as much as possible to tell more of the story, to move the story along, um, to help the young listener um, be able to, um, you know, just get more out of it. Um, you have the space, you might as well use it as best as best one can. I don't, I, I don't like it when 
the pictures are just sort of there as adornments. I want I want them to be more. I want them to be, you know, as much a part of the story as the words, or and in some cases more. It's one of our favorite bedtime stories, and um, it's it's amazing because we can interact with it as well as tell mm-hmm. the story together. So I peck her head like a little egg. <laughs> And, um, you know, stuff like that. So she has always loved it. She's actually worn the heck out of it. Um, and that's how that I know that she happy. loves it, how much the she other loves it. interesting thing, when I was on the road, on the page, you know, where it says peck, 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 mm-hmm. and then the page where it's just the words, and I would read it many, many, many times. <laughs> and the kids in the audience started like I, I wasn't doing it, but the kids started just like pecking the air with their fingers, like <laughs> these large groups of kids. And I started taking um, sort of a journal on the road. And I would say in about 80% of the, the, the readings that I did to large groups, the kids started doing that. I thought that was utterly fascinating. <laughs> um, and they also really liked at the end to talk about you know, the orange bird and what happened to the orange bird. Definitely. Um, did it meet up with the other ones? I mean, they all started sort of buzzing with their ideas for stories or for a sequel. And again, I think that's the that's the magic of a book when it really works, that you know that the story lives beyond the book. And hopefully, you know, that happens more often than not. But it, when one sees it as a as a, a writer or an illustrator, um, it's really, it's very rewarding. I um, was really intrigued when I was opening up Sweeping Up the Heart to see that the quote in the front of the book is from The Heavenly Tenants, which is another Newbery book that not a lot of people know about. Um, right. The, the quote is, the whole secret is something very few people ever discover. Do you love that book especially, or what is your inspiration for using that quote in front of the book? I I love William Maxwell's work, um, and and the that quote that I um, read before from Eudora Welty was from letters between Eudora Welty and William Maxwell. Um, so I've read all of his work. I admire it enormously, and. I was rereading The Heavenly Tenants when I was working on the book early on, um, and that quote just jumped out at me, and I thought, oh my gosh, this sort of um, sort of encapsulates what is at the heart of this book in a certain way. Um, it was one of those moments where I just I, you know, copied it down and thought, I'm going to, if I can, I would like to use this in some way in the book. And if nothing else, it was just... Um, one of those nice moments where you read something and you think, ah, you know, they were, they were thinking the same thing. Um, so it was, it was nice when I read it. And then um, I really wanted to use it in the book in the, in the front. And my editor said, yes. And so that was, that was nice. <laughs> Maybe it'll inspire some people to go and read that book. Yeah. It would be nice. And, and that book is illustrated by one of my favorites, artist to Ilanka Karan. She did a lot of New Yorker covers and she did the jackets for several of William Maxwell's um, adult books and I just admire her work quite a bit.
can you tell us about getting the call for the Newberry Honor um, for Olive's Ocean or the year of Billy Miller? Sometimes the memories merge and mesh. Um, I I remember, um, I believe, with Olive's Ocean, I... Well, I should say, um, now we live in a time where people, you know, with with the internet and social media and people, you know, talk about things in, in a way that they didn't when I began in the field. And so there was buzz, I guess, is what you would call it, for Olive's Ocean. So I was I was thinking about it, and I remember waking up early. I don't remember where the where LA midwinter was that year. But anyway, I was up early and the phone rang several times very, very early. Um and it had absolutely nothing to do with books or ALA or anything like that. Oh. And I remember thinking, the phone never rings early. Um why is it doing that today? And every time it would ring I would think, Oh my gosh. Um <laughs> and then I remember playing solitaire and and then the phone rang and, you know, it was sheer joy and happiness and all of that. The the thing that I remember most clearly was when my book, Owen, was a Caldecott honor book. And that was because it was earlier and it was pre, um, I think, pre, you know, there weren't the, the blogs like calling Caldecott or heavy metal. And, um, and it was a complete and utter surprise. I mean, I, I knew that it was that day, but I wasn't thinking about it, you know, in a very, um, very much. Um, and the nice thing was that that evening we had um, planned a really big parties because some friends were in town. And so it just turned into this really wonderful big party for, for Owen, which was really great. Um, so that was, that was nice. And I remember that probably more clearly than um, some of the others, just because it was completely out of the blue. No torturous phone calls beforehand. (laughs) (laughs) How did you prepare to give your speech? I began thinking about the speech probably the minute I hung up the phone, I'm just that kind of person. I like to get things done long um, in advance. So I started thinking about the speech right away. And I remember um, feeling a bit um, uneasy until I had an idea that I thought was good and felt like I had a handle on it. Um, so I, I worked on the speech, I think, from the very beginning, um, and worked on it a lot, and just kept rewriting and fixing and rewriting and fixing. Um, I didn't want it to be too long, but I wanted it to be long enough. And um, yeah, and I, and I I wanted it to. I mean, my memory is that I wanted it to reflect. Um, you know, it was a book for a very young reader, and I just wanted it to 
um, I don't know, somehow reflect that. And I wanted to talk about first experiences that a child might have, I believe is what I talked about a bit. And I remember as an inspiration, I went back and I looked through the, the journals that my wife and I kept for our kids when they were really little. Um, and so that was, that was a good, that was a good way to sort of center myself and think about working on that. I meant to ask you earlier whether you yourself kept journals as a child. Um, seems like you really recall the feeling of being young so well. I wondered if you had any way to remind yourself in that way. No, I never did. And I still, I still don't keep a journal. And when kids will ask me about writing, I will often say, you know, keeping a journal is not a bad idea. Um, even though I don't, I don't do it. I always have a, I always have a notebook with me and it's not, I, I, I don't journal, but if I see something that I think I could use in a book, I'll, I'll jot it down. And if I am, you know, working on a book, starting to take notes or actually working on it, I always have my notebook with me because I find that so often things that happen in everyday life, um, will so, um, Sometimes they just jump out at me, and I think, oh, my gosh, I can use that in the book. And so I always like to have something to write with and to write on when I'm living my life um, just because. Just because. Um, but I, but I, don't, I don't keep a journal, and I, and I never have. Do you use any type of, um, I guess, any particular references or models for your animals? Sometimes yes, sometimes no. I think of the my characters like Lily, Owen, you know, Wendell, Sheila Ray. If if I need, um, I, I I think of them essentially as kids. Mm-hmm. Um, so sometimes I, before I had kids, I would you know say to my wife, "Could you just stand a particular way in front of me and let me just sketch this?" So I'll, I'll often <laughs> do that, and we do that we do that for each other. Um, and when my kids were little, sometimes, you know, it would be the same thing. I would need to see, well, what does it look like if you're doing X? Um, and I use a mirror a lot too. Um, just looking at myself, um, posing a particular way. Um, and they're, you know, they're pretty, the, like Lily, Owen, Sheila Ray, they're pretty simple and they're, they're, um, sort of like gestural drawings refined, I guess, in a certain way. Um, so I, I can sort of do that on my own without looking at anything. But I do I do often use a mirror. And if I am desperate, I'll have someone I know who's close by just stand in front of me for a few minutes while I sketch them. I remember when you came um, to Little Shop to talk once, you were talking about how tiny, tiny differences can make the completely a completely different expression, especially on the mice. Um, actually, <laughs> come to think of it, that's actually one of the the things that are hanging on my wall. I love the most. I, I have one of the sketches that you did where the oh. there are two mouse faces and they're completely identical, except for the teeniest teeniest markings uh, around the eyes and mouth, and the facial expression is completely different. It's amazing. <laughs> yeah. No. And I think I think that's often 
the case when you simplify, because, you know, the drawings are pretty simple, but you really can change the way something looks by, you know, so dramatically by changing the eyebrow or changing the slant of um, the mouth. Um, and so I, I think of those drawings as being pretty pretty basic in a certain way. Um, and there is a lot one can do with very little, um, which is kind of nice. Do you have any particular remembrances of your Caldecott or Newberry Awards ceremonies? I remember, particularly with um, Kitten's First Full Moon, because, you know, I'd be giving the speech. I was so nervous. <laughs> and I remember sitting up at the head table, um, and my heart was thumping. It was before I was giving the speech, and there was sort of a break where people were going to the restroom or whatever. It was before the speeches were to begin, and it was just sitting up there being very, very nervous. And Eric Roman came up to me and said, you will be great no matter what you say. They will love you. And I just remember that made me feel very, um, very good, and it relaxed me for about three seconds. <laughs> I went back to being very nervous, but it was very nice. Um, it was true. And then once I began, and um, I, I sensed the love in the room. So that was, that was nice. It always seemed to me sort of cruel to, to take a traditionally introverted uh, profession like writing <laughs> and then put the winner of the award at a table in front of hundreds of people all night. <laughs> yes. No, and I think that's so interesting. And I think about that too, even in terms of going on the road and, you know, sort of performing in front of large groups of people. I think, I mean, for me, like one of the reasons I love what I do is because I can sit alone in a room with the door closed and be completely <laughs> inside my head. And then, you know, to then all of a sudden be, you know, in a room with maybe 300 people, you know, kids, um, you know, it can be, it can be, difficult one gets used to it and, and you know there are wonderful things about it for sure um but you know it is very different than being alone in one's head in a room with the door closed one of my favorites of your picture books is actually my garden oh yeah oh, <laughs> i wondered um if you do much gardening yourself or, or what the inspiration for that was I do not, but my but my wife does. I do a lot of weeding. Um, <laughs> that counts. And, and I think, yeah, and I think weeding weeding is one of those things that um, I think it's sort of hypnotic in a certain way, <laughs> and um, I don't know, it's sort of like I don't know, doing yoga or something. I mean, it's just really it, it's mm -hmm. a very good way for me to. Um, let my mind just wander. I really I like it. And it, it's also, I'm a task-oriented person, and it's a great thing because you get, you get direct results and you can see them, which is, which is nice. Um, but I, but I, I'm sure my wife loving to garden was the reason that that book came, came to be. Um, 
I just thought a, a garden was a great place to do a young book. And I wanted to do a book. I, and so many of my books, I think, are about imagination. Um, a lot of the young books, um, even if the book itself isn't about it, the characters imagine, starting from my very first book, All Alone, it's about a boy who's just walking by himself and he imagines different things. For example, if he's tall enough to taste the sky or small enough to hide behind a stone. Um so I think it's been there from the very beginning. And and that's another one of those books, My Garden, um, when I've shared it in groups of kids, groups with kids, um, they seem to really respond to it and just go wild with their ideas of what would be in their garden. And some of the pictures that I've received are really wonderful. Um, and I think, again, it's one of those books that lends itself to thinking beyond the book um and and that's nice for me to see when that happens that's a big favorite over here we we do a lot of gardening outside and it, i think the combination of like the practical yes i help my parents with the garden but the complete imagination with the seashells and the jelly beans and the chocolate like it's just perfect we love it <laughs> oh thank you thank you so um, sweeping up the heart is going to be coming out in mid March. Yes. What can you tell us about it? I would say for me the important things and how it began. I, I love writing about young artists. So Amelia Albright is 12 years old and she is an artist. And I think you know both of those things are really important to me as the writer. Um, I love writing about young artists because I was one and because I think there's something again, because she's an early adolescent and life can be tumultuous um, in so many ways. I mean, even if it's not, I mean, it, 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 even if you're living under great circumstances, it can still be a really difficult time of life, I think. And I think having art for her and I think for me too. I mean, it really um, provides an anchor in her life. So I think that is important. Again, I love writing about that that age, um, a twelve-year-old kid. And for me, the 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 novel that I did before this was Billy Miller. And I've gone back. I, actually, when I was thinking about doing this, I went back and I've looked. And it's so interesting to me, Billy Miller was a story about a boy, and he had a sibling. The book before that was um, Genonia, about a girl um, who was an only child, and it takes place on an island. The book before that was with boys. Um, I think it's very interesting. I've gone back, and I almost go back and forth between uh, male and female protagonists with the novels. It's interesting to me, actually, as a bookseller, because what is hard sometimes is that books with main characters who are boys can be difficult to sell to girls and vice versa. Mm. And your books sort of transcend that. The gender is just not an issue for readers uh -huh. at all, which is wonderful. Um, I ended up setting it. Um, I wanted I, I don't have a smartphone. I don't have email. I still write by hand and type on a typewriter. So um, you know, I'm not savvy about the world of texting and all of that. So I wanted to set it at least a little bit 
um, earlier. So I chose 1999 because I thought it would be great because um, Amelia even says, you know, when the when it when the year changes, every, every single number in the year is going to change, and it sort of to her symbolizes big change, and she's waiting for something big to happen. So I, I felt like that was serendipitous when I sort of put that together and <clears throat> used that. Um, and then I wanted, uh, I, I don't write with an outline. Um, I just start with character and I go very slowly and I write painfully slowly, like, you know, paragraph by paragraph, sentence by sentence. Um, and typically I write one draft at, a very, very, very slow pace. I know writers who write many, many drafts and work things out. I tend to work things out as I go. Um, and so Casey appeared as I was working, and then I thought, well, he would he would be a boy, and he would have something in his life that he was worried or concerned about. And I, want, I wanted to sort of... Um, I wanted to look at the idea that one person can have something in his or her life that is really dominant and what they're concerned about. And to another person that's, you know, it's like, Oh, that's, you know, that's, that's that. And then that person can have something in his or her life. And it's the same thing. And I wanted to sort of point that out. Like, you know, Casey's very worried about his, um, about his parents, um, but that's not that's not Amelia's concern. So I was trying to work with that um, too. And I also was thinking a lot about about building and structure. And and Casey builds is trying to build this Eiffel Tower, which is thin and wobbly um, and unstable. Um, and he can't do it. He can't do it alone. His aunt has to help him. And then I was thinking of Amelia and how she thinks her life is sort of a mess, and yet she is building these things that are small and sturdy and solid and um, getting some positive um, reinforcement for them from the, the woman at the clay studio. So again, a lot of it is the, the part I love about working on a novel, and I think it might be because I'm a visual person, is is building the details and building the symbols and having them, you know, add up to something and having them, you know, add strength to the structure of the story. The other thing that I do when I begin working on a story is I will write pages about my characters, describing them, and often what I write doesn't end up in the book because it's too much weight for the structure of the story to bear. But the more I know about my characters, the better I can write about him or her. Even if all those things that I've written don't show up, they do inform what is written and they do inform um, how well I, I know them and the better that I know him or her I think the more clearly and concisely I can write about them. Um, that seems to be a common thread in a lot of the 
the writers that we've interviewed, you're basically making people, like real people, and then mm -hmm. what they would do. Yeah. I mean, and, and I don't, I never have, have used an outline. And I often will know kind of where I want to end up, but I don't know, um, I don't know how I will get there. But knock wood, it, it's worked so far. <laughs> And there's another, um, there's a great quote um, by a man named Verlin Klinkenborg. He, he's, a, he's a writer and he used to be on the New York Times editorial board. And I have a quote in my studio. He said, um, and he, he teaches writing somewhere, I'm not sure where, um, but he said, say more than you thought you knew how to say in sentences better than you ever imagined for the reader who reads between the lines. And I love that because I... Um, I like to think of my readers as reading between the lines. I like to think of them um, as, you know, being able to do that. And every now and then when you really get, when one really gets wrapped up in what one is doing and it's clicking, I'm sometimes amazed and I will think, well, I didn't know that. I didn't know that I knew that or where did that come from? And I think that's, again, one of the things that's really hard to describe and hard to understand, even for me, the writer. But when you're really in it and when you really do know your, char your character, um, sometimes things just unfold. And that, that's magical. If you type all of your stories your stories, all your books on a typewriter. How do yep. you guard against something happening to that draft? Do you photocopy it? Do you just... Oh, yes. I photocopy it. Um, okay. And actually, Sweeping Up the Heart was the first time. My typewriter's not in very good shape anymore. And it's our... There used to be a typewriter repair shop in town, which is, of course, no longer there. Um, so with Sweeping Up the Heart, I always write in longhand first, and I rewrite and rewrite and rewrite as I'm going. I mean, I, I essentially have a draft, but, you know, if I'm on Chapter 5 and I think, oh, well, I need to add something to Chapter 1 to make this make sense and this is the way I want to go, then I'll go back and fix sort of as I go. And then I'll have the entire book, what I'm done, handwritten. And then what I used to do would be, for all of my books, except for Sweeping Up the Heart, I would go back and then I would, re I would type the whole book myself. And a lot happens in that stage, even though I think that I'm done. Um, a lot happens. So with Sweeping Up the Heart, I realized that my typewriter probably wasn't going to be good for a nice, clean, sharp-looking final draft. So I ended up paying my daughter, who is the dedicatee of the book, Clara. Um, I paid her to do it on the word processor, but I didn't want to lose that last step for me. So what I ended up doing with Sweeping Up the Heart is I hand wrote the entire book one more time. Oh, my word. So I have these... <laughs> I have these stacks of notebooks and I had to write really clearly and carefully because she was going to be typing it from my handwriting. 
Um, so, but it, but it was great because it worked the same way that typing it myself did because I was going very slowly. I was doing it carefully and things really do come out in that last, um, stage. First editor, Susan Hirschman would sometimes say, oh, this needs to go through the typewriter one more time. Um, and I think that's true. I mean, for me, I love going through the typewriter one more time. Um, in this case, it was writing it by hand one more time. But, um, but it was it was a good good exercise. It really makes me slow down and think. And I think for me, when I used to when I would type on the typewriter, and I still do in the early stages, but it's it's not not for anyone else to to see in a certain way. Um, because I was, I was thinking, I don't want to retype this. So I was very careful, you know, even about things about punctuation and capitalization and all of those things. So I think I was really careful. And I think that was probably good for me and my writing, you know, it's just what it's, it works for me. But I do worry about the next time. I don't know. It, it, <laughs> it takes quite a while to rewrite the whole thing. Do you have any particular favorite Newbery books aside from your own? Um, I love Lynn Ray Perkins' um, Criss Cross. Yes. was a Newbery Medal winner. Um, I'm a real Paula Fox fan, and I love One-Eyed Cat, which was a Newbery Honor book. Um, that's one of those books that I reread periodically. Uh, I, I just I love her. I love her her style, her, I mean, she's spare and elegant. Um, and I think she's one of those people that really does write between the lines. Sometimes you really have to think about, um, I mean, so much more is there, um, than appears to be on the page. I think I really, she's one of my all time favorites. Um, I also, I, I love Virginia Hamilton's, um, MC Higgins, the great, but, Maybe even more so, her Newbery Honor book, um, The Planet of Junior Brown. Oh, yes. And I remember reading both of those when I was young and un- not not published. Um, I was older then. I, would, I believe I was uh, probably late in high school. Um, and I really thought, wow, she can. She really does something. Particularly The Planet of Junior Brown. Um, it made me realize the the possibilities of, of writing. And those are some of the books that, um, you know, really stood out for me. Well, those are wonderful choices. Thank you so much. Oh, thank you both very much. Had a, had a very good time. Bye-bye. Bye. Bye. Thank you for joining us today on Newberry Tart. We spoke with the wonderful Kevin Hankus. See you next time. Bye. Production assistance for Newberry Tart is provided by Raphael Siebenman and Liam Grove. Graphic design by Liz Mytinger. Intro and outro by Ariana Hargrave. Theme music for this podcast is provided by the laid-back and local Throckmorton Ukulele Band. You can hear more of their music on Facebook. Find more Newberry Tart episodes at iTunes, Stitcher, or wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts.
Our website is Newberry Tart. That's N-E-W-B-E-R-Y-T-A-R-T dot com.